Good morning. It's good to see you all. Everyone doing okay this morning? You doing all right? Yeah? How many of you got stuck in some traffic coming over the bridge this morning? Well, God bless you. I'm glad you made it and that you're here. And for everyone joining us online, welcome to Clear Creek. I'm Josh. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the ministers. And it's a privilege to get a serve here alongside you and the mission that God has given us to be a reproducing, multiplying church that makes disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So, with that said, today we are wrapping up our brief look at how we got here. From Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, it is this massive story of God's work from beginning really up until the start of his redemptive work through one man named Abraham. Now, I'm jumping ahead, but we'll get into that in a couple weeks. But for today, we're going to wrap things up with chapter 11. So I'm going to ask you, grab your Bible, turn with me to chapter 11 of Genesis. And while you're doing that, let me make you aware of just two things that are going to be coming up. Next Sunday, we're going to take a one-week breather from any series, and we're going to talk about but God moments. As we go into Thanksgiving and as we're all trying to catch our breath from what has been a, a weird and difficult year, we're going to take some time to look back at what God has done and how God is continuing to step in. And what I'd ask you, if you make a commitment to be at any one of our gatherings between now and the end of the year, I would say, please, come be part of that. I think you'll be encouraged by it. So that's next Sunday. Tomorrow night, though, I'm real excited about this. Tomorrow night, I just want to tell you again, tomorrow night, we're going to have a Genesis question and answer panel that you can tune in at 7 p.m. either online at our website or on YouTube. And we're just going to try to answer some of the questions that we've received. We won't be able to get to maybe every question you have, but we hope that this will deepen the conversation. And of course, if you have questions before, during, or after, hit us up. We'd love to be able to continue the conversation with you there as well. So tomorrow night, hop on. We will have a ball. And I think you'll be uh, intrigued by some of the answers that are given. But today, before we get there, let's turn one last time to Genesis. And hear the story of the Tower of Babel. This begins Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I I thank you that we get to dive into this oh-so-strange text this morning 
And as we attempt to reach back into the mists of history, I pray that you will bring forward into time a very applicable, relevant truth for the people in this room, and not just us, but for this city, state, nation, and our world. May we see you and what you're up to in this text. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This morning, here's the one thing I want us to talk about. If you don't get anything else out of today's text, here's the one big question. Are you ready? What are you building? When you look at your life, what are you building? Yesterday, I don't mean to brag, but yesterday I pulled out my man card and had opportunity to to build something. For those of you of a certain generation, you will think of the name Bob Vila. For others, you'll think Tim, the tool man, Taylor. (laughs) My goal, though, at the end of today is that for those who are too young to know any of them, that you'll think Josh Diggs when you think of building projects. It's not going to happen, I know that, but that's my goal. Yesterday, I finally got around to fixing a gate that had just fallen off. It was destroyed, so I went to Home Depot. I bought wood. I got all the stuff, and I built a gate. Now, it doesn't open. It just, no, no, no. It, it works. I mean, the, the hinge works, the handle, the lock, everything. It works. I was so excited, so, so proud of myself. Now, the rest of the gate, or the fence, rather, is falling down, and if you go to the other side, there are parts of the wood that are rotting that I'm going to have to deal with. But as I was fixing this one piece of this fence, two things stood out to me. Number one, unless we manage what we're building, it will eventually rot, won't it? Unless we are intentional about what we are putting our hands to, over time, just the inertia of the world, the breaking down, the entropy of life, everything ends up falling apart. And so the thing I first thought about is it's going to take intentionality on my part, on our part, when we look at what we're building. But then the second thing that occurred to me is it's not just physical things that we're building, but everyone in this room and everyone joining us online, right now you are building something, aren't you? How many of you are married? Can I see a show of hands? How many of you are happily married? Let's, men, put the hand back up, man, fast. Uh, How many of you have children? Any, anyone in here? Okay, so right there, some in this room, many in this room, you're building a marriage, are you not? And it's going to require maintenance, it's going to require effort, but you are building a marriage. What kind of marriage are you building? You have kids, You're raising the next generation, and I pray that they love Jesus and that they do great things, but what you do now, you are building up the next generation, and if you're parents, but your kids have already grown, left the roost, your job's not done because they're looking to you as an influencer, as someone that they can ask questions, as someone they can lean on when life gets hard and their marriage gets hard. If they have kids, then you're not done yet because you now get the privilege of pouring into and building up not the next generation, but the generation to come. You are building something. Think about this. Some of you own businesses and you're building your business, right? So you're building teams. You're building revenue streams. You're creating client lists. You are a builder of industry. You're building something. And some of you, if you're a student, right now, what are you doing? You're building a good GPA, so if you want to go to college, you can get into college, and it will not make your mom and dad poor. So you're building a GPA, and then once you're in college, you're getting internships and other areas of experience because you are building now a resume for the business world. And then I think, for some of us, you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. For all of us, though, we're all building a reputation, aren't we? 
Today, the way you influence and interact with others, you are building and influencing and creating a reputation. Here's my point. We are all building something, and this story is about what we're building. I don't know about you, but when I look around our city and our country, I'm not one of those doom and gloom guys, but I am a realist, and I do not see what we're building withstanding the pressures of life. There are so many things that we're attempting to create, cultivate, and build, and yet it seems, it seems to me that where we are today is no better than they were back then. Now, what we often do is we say, well, I know what we need. If we want to fix what's wrong with this world, if we want to fix our culture, it comes down to a few things. If we want to fix it, well, we just need to have, well, we need to have uh, better education. Education is the way to go. By the way, I love education. I study for a living. I love, love, love to learn. So I'm not against any of this. So it's education, some people say. Others go, no, no, no. Education isn't the issue. The issue is the economy. We need a booming economy. That's what will fix what is going on around us. Still others say it's not these things, it's the environment. We need to deal with our ecosystem. And still others say it's not that. We just need everyone to work together. Because after all, you have great education, great economy, great environment, but no one likes each other. What's the use? Now here's what I think is so interesting. The story we just read addresses all these. Think with me for a moment here. The people, they gather together in the plain of Shinar. They say, let's build a massive structure to our greatness and to this wonderful world in which we live. Now, interestingly enough, how many languages did they speak? Uno. Spanish. One, right? Okay. (laughs) Education. How many of you, how many of you would love to roll into your Spanish class tomorrow, open your mouth, and not have to use another textbook again to be able to speak fluent Spanish. Some of us are thinking, man, I would love to be able to open my mouth and speak fluent English. I live in the South and no one understands me. But they had education in the sense that they were able to understand in ways you and I cannot. They have a leg up on us. Economy? Oh, they were booming. They were building bigger and better. In fact, they had just come across this new technology. We're told about it. It's called the brick. Up until that point, when you wanted to build something, you used stone. The problem was stones were all irregular in shape and size, so you cannot build them as evenly or as securely. You cannot go as high or as fast, but they came up with this brick that they could mass produce. They were a tech-mastering culture. That was the equivalent of our microchip. And so they have the technology, they have the economy, they also, the environment, well, hey, it was not as perhaps polluted as it is today. We don't know, but we assume it probably was a little better there as well. And then, as far as everyone being together, there was no one else on the earth except for those who were there. All the people were together. What I want you to see is while I am all for these things, I think these are great things, this will not address what is really wrong with us. Because here's the thing, we have as a nation built a fantastic education system in many ways. Our economy is excellent. We're dealing with environmental issues well. And we are coming together in some ways. We're able to communicate, social media, technology, all these things, Zoom conferences. We are coming together in certain areas. But there are still issues that are under the surface that although these are important, if we don't address the underlying problem, nothing will get fixed and our culture will crumble and collapse. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? This is the story of Babel. 
And so what I want you to see this morning is three things that failed cultures have in common. Because you see Babel as this great nation, this place, and it was a literal place in space, in time. In fact, you can go and you can find where this would have been built roughly in the Middle East. But this is part of what became the Babylonian Empire later on, this area. But they had three things that they failed, and I'm afraid we're failing at, but we don't have to. So here's the first one. Failed cultures settle for less than God's best. They settle for less than God's best. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, or excuse me, in verse, yeah, 28, God says, I want you to have babies, and then I want you to spread out. I want you to fill the earth. This was the first command in all scripture. Make babies spread out. But then after the flood, Noah comes out of the ark and God reiterates this exact same command in chapter 9. He says, have babies and then spread out. Fill the earth. And so what do the people of Babel do? They settled in verse 2. They settled. Hear me now. The very first thing that failed cultures, that failed cultures all have in common is they settle for less than God's best. And they often do it for good reasons, or at least perceived good reasons. We want to be together. We want to have a sense of community. We want to be around each other. Church, we were called not to settle for less than God's best, but to go and make disciples. How many of us know of churches that have withered and died because they refused to do what God called them to do? They were settling for less than God's best. But I just love my people. I just want to be with my people. They settled. And this is the first issue that we see. By the way, some of us, this is the only note you need to take today. If you want to succeed in what you're building, obey God. It's as simple as obedience. But obedience is not always easy, is it? They settled for less than God's best. Number two, they built their culture without God. Failed cultures build culture without God. Failed cultures build culture without God. This is the picture that we see. Now put just this next slide up with just the text. I want you to see this. Read through this. How many times in this text, just this part, do you see them mention God? I got news for you. Zero. Their entire focus is about something else. God is not in the picture. In fact, notice what words are in the picture over and over again. Come let us, ourselves, ourselves, we, we. Do you see a theme? They are building a culture without God. But it goes deeper than them forgetting to mention him. Notice this phrase, come let us, come let us. Where have we heard, O oh Bible scholars, where have we heard let us? mentioned already in the text of Genesis. What was it? Let us make, anyone starting to hear it, let us make man, anyone following, let us make man in our image. Do you notice that they're echoing the words of God, creator of all things, and what they're doing, as one theologian put it, this is an overt attempt to build God out of the story and say, we can be God. Let us do his job. Failed cultures build culture without God. In fact, we see this. Now, some of you guys maybe think, okay, what is culture? What does that word mean? We've been using it all morning. Let me give you a real simple definition. Culture. Culture. 
is the product of what a group values. Culture is the product of what a group values. So if you value something, this is the result of what you value. It may not be spoken, but it is always lived out. Culture is what a group values, but it's more than that. In fact, there's something else going on under the surface here that we even see in the word culture, this little English word. Uh, This English word culture at the base of it, the root of culture is this word, cult. If you've taken Latin, you know that the word cult comes from the Latin word cultus, which means worship. What am I saying? Every culture is built on what it worships. Every group of people, whatever we build, whatever you're doing in your home today, family, you're building it based on what you worship. The time you spend with your children and the way you spend it with your children is based on what you worship. The way you build your company, your business, your influence is based on what you worship. The way you work in school, try hard, focus, that is all based on what you worship. Every culture is built on what that culture worships. You and I, listen to me, our church will be built on what we worship. You say, oh, we worship God. I agree, but we need to always evaluate it and measure it against what is actually being produced. A failed culture builds culture without God. And so you see this group of people, they say, let us build our own culture without God. And so they begin to build. And most likely, by the way, I wish I'd had a picture for you. I didn't bring one, unfortunately. But this tower was most likely like a ziggurat. A ziggurat, you find the in other parts of the world still today, but a ziggurat is a stair-stepped tower that's flat on the top where worship and sacrifices would be given. And the idea was, we will work our way up to the gods. We'll meet them halfway so they give us what we want. And so the people, they say, let us build this great tower to our amazement and to our awesomeness. And then we're going to be so big, so bad, we'll be able to actually sort of peer above the clouds and say howdy to God. And we'll be like the gods or God ourselves. This is the picture. Now hear me. A church or a culture, whatever we worship, that's what we'll build. So a culture that worships possessions or money will build a materialistic culture. A culture that worships pleasure will build a sex-obsessed culture. A culture that is obsessed or worships um, uh, uh, this sense of youthfulness will discount the elderly and will value beauty over things that are less beautiful. So if you're not airbrushed, you're not worthy of anything. How many of our people have been crushed under the weight of a culture that worships the wrong thing? Here's what I want you to see, family. If you build without God, it will not last. This is the picture that we get. This is not a story for ancient times. This is a picture of 21st century America. And by the way, I love America. I'm so grateful to be an American. But hear me now. 
Whatever we worship is what we will build. We build the microchip. Look how great we are, our technology. Look at our education system. Look how great we are. Look how we are helping the environment. Look how great we are. Look how we are able to unite people over vast different distances with social media and with technology. Look how great we are. And it is not going to last if it's not built on Jesus Christ. Now, there's some humor in this text, though. Did you pick up on it? Verse 5 has this funny little phrase. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city. Now, when we read this, we go, was he like up in heaven only? Does he have bad eyesight? What's, what's the deal? This is hilarious. This is satire. I wish I had time to walk you through the poetry of the Hebrew language, but let me just give you this. This is about how small their actual building was. Wasn't it supposed to like come up so high that it like met God in the clouds? Wasn't it supposed to be this massive structure? And yet God is shown in this picture be like, hey, do you see that? What what is that? I can't see it. Let we might as well go down and check it out. Come on. This is the picture. God is like, you think you are so big and so bad. You built something so big. But, but wait, wait. What, what is this that you're so impressed of and you're so excited about? Look how great we are. Oh, yeah. Good job. Good job. The thing that they were so impressed by, what they thought gave them value, made them a somebody. The God of the universe goes, your best is pitiful without me. You see, here's the reality, family. We each get one life to live. I do not want, I do not want you or me at the end of our lives to say, look how great we are. And for the God of the universe to go, you have no idea what I meant for you to do. What are you building, family? What are you building? This is what is going on here. And then he says, we got to do something about this. Now, I know, I know. As soon as we read that passage, some of you see this. Well, if they're doing this together, then they can't be stopped. So is God biting his fingernails? Is that what's going on here? Is he worried? Like, oh no, they might actually get somewhere without me? I want you to be very clear that our God is not intimidated by his creation. Our God scattered the stars in the sky and calls them out one by one. Our God holds the universe in his hands. The prophet says that he literally measures the heavens with his hand. Our God is not intimidated or impressed by Josh or anyone else. So what's going on here? God is seeing the wickedness of the human heart attempting to write God out of the story. He sees what that has only ever brought. And he says, if I leave them to their own devices, wicked hearts united in common purpose, technology and advancements continue, then there will be no end to the destruction and wickedness that they will be able to accomplish This is an act of judgment and an act of mercy. He is protecting us from ourselves. Because you and I have read it in the history books. Some of you lived through this time where we saw when one nation was united by common cause and it ended with the extermination of millions of Jewish people in gas chambers and firing squads. 
This is the picture God is saying, I'm not scared of you, but I do not want you to destroy yourself. Listen, sometimes the only thing that keeps evil people in check are other evil people who want different things. And so God, he's saying, I'm going to stop it where it's at. So the two things we've talked about so far, what are we saying here? Failed cultures, failed cultures settle for less than God's best. Number two, they build culture without God. And number three, have you noticed how difficult it is to get things done even when you speak the same language? Anyone in here ever have a moment of miscommunication in their life? Can you imagine if we tried to build this building, but we all spoke a different language? God confuses it, doesn't he? Imagine if someone in here speaks Portuguese, another one Russian, another one maybe their version of Southern, whatever that is. Or, as you just heard, Soxa. I can't even do it right. It, it's this clicking and this, this guttural thing. It's an ancient African language. Let's, see, let's hear it again. Go ahead. Put this up. Imagine trying to work with different languages. By the way, that's a great little thing. He was telling a joke. I'm not making this up. It was a hilarious joke. I'm sure you caught it. It was about a skunk that fell over and hurt its neck. (laughs) Anyway, my point is, my point is, it is difficult to communicate, but we don't see that just in this culture. We see it even currently, right? So, um, well, we see it with movie titles, don't we? How sometimes things are lost in translation, so you have an American or an English title movie, but then it's taken to a different country. They retitle it, they re- and something gets lost in translation. Uh, so for instance, um, uh, David Hasselhoff, big name, still in Germany. They love, evidently, they love Baywatch in Germany. But do you know what they title Baywatch in Germany? The Lifeguards of Malibu. Yeah. Uh, how many of you remember Kirk Cameron, uh, Growing Pains? Anyone remember the 80s at all? Kirk Cameron, Growing Pains in Italy, it's called Parents Wear Blue Jeans. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me give you a few more, okay? Go ahead and put these up here. Let's see if, take oh, 20, 30 seconds, lean to your neighbor, share the answer. What are these titles in English? You've got 30 seconds, give your best guess to each other, Go. If you think you got any of these correct, go ahead and just show of hands. All right, well, let's, let's try this one. Uh, life, love, and cows. What do you think it is? Just shout it out if you think you know what it is. What was it? Would you believe it's city slickers? Well, what about this next one? Uh, what do you think this next one is, everybody? Nope. It's Wheel of Fortune. Sensation of living? Oh, that's Beverly Hills, 90210. What about this one? Some of you, I'm sure, got this one. The Flintstones. Yeah, they're a modern Stone Age family, right? Some of you are like, of course, yeah. How about this very last one? Mama, I missed the plane. Home Home alone. How many of you wish you got that last one, right? 
Here's my point. Here's my point. Sometimes things are lost in translation, are they not? And it's not just in other languages. Sometimes you can be talking to someone else in your own home, in your own church, in your own city, and you're not talking to each other. You're talking over, around. You, you just, it's not connecting. Have you ever had that frustrating moment? Here's what I would tell you. The more that a culture settles for less than God's best, and the more that a culture attempts to build without God, it always ends, number three, in division. It does. Things break down. Things fall apart. Now people who used to be able to have a civil conversation assume the worst, say the worst. We have keyboard warriors who will say things over the internet about someone they would never say in person. What's happened? What are you building? If you build it, on settling for less than God's best, on disobedience. If you build it on ignoring God in what you're constructing, you can expect the end of unity, period. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Are you ready for some? Although this is where I see our world right now. This is not the way God intends it, nor is it the way that it'll always be. There's this great little line, verse 5 Then God came down. Do you remember that line? Friends, this is not simply a statement of what he did in Babel. It's a promise of what he would do in Jesus Christ. He looked down and he said, enough's enough. And scripture says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin. Jesus stepped into the cultural moment and he said there is another way, but we're going to have to do some fixing. Here's the beautiful thing. Everything, everything, everything turns around when God comes down. We're going to talk about this in two weeks as we kick into Advent, the story of God coming to us. But let me give you the punchline. Jesus Christ came and he brought not the culture of Babel, but he introduced us to the culture of the kingdom of God that was not built on settling for less than God's best, but full obedience and joy. He introduced us to building a world and lives and families and businesses and cities and communities, not away and apart from God, but building built solely on the foundation of God. Jesus tells a story. A wise man built his house upon not a rock, but the rock, Jesus Christ himself. And he then says, I will build my church. He dies. He's risen. And on the day before he ascends, he gathers his followers. He says, okay, okay, let's try this Again, can we try this again? What was promised in Genesis, what I've been talking about, let's try this again. And so in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he reissues the cultural mandate when he says, you're going to receive power. You can't do this on your own. God's spirit will come on you. And you will be my witnesses. The world's going to see a kingdom culture unlike anything they've experienced. It will be radically different because you are building it on something different than everything else. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yeah, right here at home. But in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful and multiply. And now make disciples 
spread out. I've got a big job, big world, needs to see what he's going to do. And then over the next chapter, we witness the events, the birth of the church, God cultivating the new kingdom culture. He says, you wait. So they're in the upper room, and you know how the story goes. The followers of Jesus are praying and waiting when God's holy presence comes on them. And it says that tongues like fire landed on them. Now, what is the gift that they are given in that moment, church? They are able to speak, and everyone now understands them. Notice the last moment of defeat in Genesis 11 is now the beginning point of God's church in Acts chapter 2. They begin to speak, and it creates such a stir in their city that people from, we're told, all across the world heard it. This just so happens to be on the day of Pentecost when people from 13 different nations are there and they hear this and they say, what's going on? I, I can understand it. What you can too? And, and you? What's going on? At Babel, life without God leads to division, but in Christ we have unity. Nothing else will fix what's wrong with our world. Nothing else will fix what's wrong in our nation. Nothing else will fix what is wrong in our homes. Nothing else will fix what is wrong in our hearts except Jesus Christ. And they say, what's going on? They begin to hear, and we're told that they have this thing, this bewilderment. Notice in Genesis, they are bewildered at the lack of understanding. Here, they are bewildered because they can understand. And then they say, we hear it in our own language. And then verse 11 says this beautiful thing. They began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. Next slide, what God was doing, the wonders of God. It's not about what we built. Look at us, look at us. It's look at him. In Babel, everything collapsed. In Christ, everything is built. At Babel, languages are divided. In Jesus, we're united. In Babel, we think we have to get to God. But the good news of Jesus is that we don't get to God. God got to us. Church, what are you building? That is the point. And it's only in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ that you will find the fulfillment and joy and adventure that your heart longs for. So this isn't an ancient story about an ancient people. This is our story where we find ourselves today. So let me ask you one final time today, buddy. My sisters, my friends, my brothers, what are you building? May it be on Jesus.